Welcome to the Get Your Donut Podcast. We're here to exchange our consumeristic Christianity for a life fully surrendered to Christ, and to never let our faith be as simple as grabbing coffee and a donut in the lobby. Let's do this. Well, welcome everybody to the Get Your Donut Podcast. This is Noah, your host, and I'm excited you're back for another episode. You know, this show is all about combating consumeristic Christianity. And what I mean is that we look at our versions of Christianity and church and family that we've developed uh, that allow ourselves to be the center of everything, that allow our world and our lives to revolve around us. Uh, And we examine that with a biblical lens. Uh, and we try to say, uh, you know, what does is, what is Jesus want from me? What does Jesus ask from me? And in which ways uh, am I falling short of that? In which ways do I need to uh, let go of some of the things that I'm holding dear? In which uh, comforts do I need to uh, cast off for the sake of putting Christ back at the center uh, of my life uh, where he's supposed to be and where I wasn't meant to be uh, at all. And so uh, we're going to do that today uh, with a fun part uh, of church and ministry uh, that probably many of us have run into, uh, either been a part of uh, or led even, uh, which is small groups. <clears throat> small groups tend to be uh, somewhat of a lifeline for uh, most churches, uh, youth groups, young adult groups, parachurch ministries. Uh, it seems that like everywhere you go, there's usually an option to join a group of some kind, join a small group, join a life group, branch group, home group. Uh, I'm not even going to have time to riff on all of the names uh, that we come up with for these things. But basically, small groups, right? You've got a, a group of usually, uh, you know, four to ten people uh, who gather consistently to discuss, uh, you know, the, the, the deeper things, really. Uh, sometimes they're more uh, geared towards just sharing life with one another, uh, you know, having dinner uh, once a month together and just hanging out. But But most of the time, when we're talking about small groups in a church context, we're talking about, you know, some sort of weekly group that gets together to uh, discuss the message from Sunday, uh, or, uh, you know, they're, they've chosen a book to read together, uh, or a curriculum that they're going to walk through together. Uh, and so what I want to talk about today is uh, the goal of small groups, uh, some of the functions of, of small groups, and then, and then kind of how we flesh that out in practice, uh, if you will. And so if you're somebody who leads small groups, I think that you'll gain a lot from this episode. If you're in a small group, I think you'll also gain a lot uh, from this episode as hopefully it gives us a better way to think about and view our participation uh, and and uh, attendance uh, in an actual small group, whether we're just a leader uh, or, or an attender. So uh, let's let's jump in. You know, the purpose of small groups, the overall overarching goal of a small group is to facilitate spiritual growth. Uh, And that sounds vague, maybe. But the point is that we gather together uh, for, uh, you know, the purpose of growing closer to Jesus, of growing in our walk with Jesus. And so uh, you can you can lay that. Usually you can take a goal uh, and a goal is easily turned into a metric uh, by which you measure your success. And so if your goal uh, is to facilitate spiritual growth, then your metric for success for a small group is is are people growing spiritually? And so if you've got a small group that's gathered and the fellowship is wonderful, but nobody's grown spiritually in a couple of years, your small group is missing the mark, 
right? If, if your goal is, is spiritual growth. And so uh, what we want to say is that when we gather together in small groups, our goal is that we would be growing spiritually uh, from, from caring to each other, or caring for each other better, to understanding scripture more, uh, to, to applying that into our lives. Small groups are typically vital to ministry and just to our, our walk with Jesus, our friendships uh, with other people. And so what I'm going to walk through now is the four functions uh, of a small group. And uh, this may not be an exhaustive list. There's probably a couple others out there. Uh, but these are really for what I would call pillars of a healthy small group. And so uh, if you look at, at long-lasting, proven-to-be healthy small groups, they likely have these four things. Uh, and if you're in a small group and it's missing one or two or three of these things, you likely feel that. Whether you can recognize exactly what it is or not, uh, I'm not sure, but you likely feel that, ah, oh, this the group is missing something, right? It's it's like it's almost there or parts of it are good, but it's missing something. And so uh, these pillars kind of help us unlock what a healthy uh, and vibrant small group should look like. And so I'll uh, walk through the four pillars. And then after that, I'll kind of step into each one of these functions uh, and give some practices, uh, some tips on how uh, we can lead uh, effective small groups. And if you're a part of a small group, how you might engage uh, in some of these ways better. So let's let's do it. The first function of a small group is to bear each other's burdens. Small groups uh, intentionally share life with one another in a way that allows us to know what's going on in each other's lives. So there's, there becomes a point where uh, what's shared in the group uh, actually gives us the opportunity to care for one another and to bear uh, one another's burdens. And so uh, working primarily with students, uh, I, I see this uh, every week in the sense of, you know, if I was to ask a kid, hey, what was something hard that happened in your week this week? Uh, there's instantly, whatever the answer is, there's an opportunity to pray for that student. There's an opportunity to uh, maybe invite myself into the situation uh, if necessary. There's an opportunity for uh, possible reconciliation between uh, people. And so as we share about what's going on in our life, there are these natural uh, opportunities to step up and fill needs and to bear each other's burdens and to care for one another. And I think uh, one of the most practical uh, and uh, simple ways to do that is simply to stop after somebody shared and to pray for them right then and there. Uh, and, and that allows us to kind of let them know, like, we, we care about this with you. And then and we're going to go to God uh, on your behalf with you for whatever you're carrying. So that's function number one is bear one another's burdens. Uh, function number two is to encourage each other away from sin. Small groups are a place of vulnerability where each member can share their struggles uh, and help to hold each other accountable to life in Christ. And so uh, you'll notice that each member is should be responsible to share what they're struggling with and to hold one another accountable uh, to life in Christ. And so uh, small groups need to be a place uh, where it's okay for us to share what's going on, where it's okay for us to be vulnerable. We say in our student ministry that a confession of sin is something to be celebrated, not punished. And I think that that ought to be true uh, of every small group, is that if, if we come and we kind of lay, lay our hearts bare and say, these are the things that have my attention where God should have my attention, but here it is. That should be something that's more than welcome in a small group uh, and that gives us an opportunity to step in with each other and say, great, how can I jump into this battle with you and help pull you away from sin and pull you towards uh, God? So that's function number two. Function number three is to hold each other accountable 
to life in the word. For me, this is the most obvious function of a small group, right? Small groups study God's word together. Uh, They learn more about God. They challenge each other to live it out. They try to trust him more and more every day. This one uh, jumps out at me as like, obviously, uh, you should be holding each other accountable to life in the word. This is anything related to a biblical knowledge and understanding and application. And so I think of uh, a group text that I've got with a couple of guys. We text uh, every day right now. We're in a, uh, we've been in a groove for a long time where we read a chapter of scripture and then you just chime in your thoughts. And sometimes uh, they're more simple than others. Sometimes they're more complex. But the point is, hey, I'm accountable to you that I read at least one chapter of the Bible today and I thought about it. And here's my thoughts. So uh, that would be uh, function number three. Function number four and our final pillar for small groups is that they build strong, faith-filled relationships. Uh, Small group relationships become deep friendships centered around Christ, uh, and their friendships are steady through the ups and downs, and they reflect the grace and the truth of Christ. So what we're talking about here is uh, beyond mere mere friendship. We're talking specifically about Christ-centered friendship that I believe uh, small groups can be a wonderful launching pad for some of these relationships. Uh, Psalm 133 says that uh, it's good and pleasant When brothers dwell together in unity, it goes on to say it's like this precious oil, uh, anointing oil running down the beard uh, of Aaron. And and it's just this wonderful picture that if you've been in good Christ-centered community, you likely know what a wonderful thing that is. And small groups are a great place uh, to find that. And so we'll talk a little bit more uh, in just a minute about how we can help develop uh, those those friendships and how we can uh, kind of do each one of those things. And so uh, that's what I want to do now actually is move into uh, what, I, what I'm calling the practices. These are uh, simple practices that I believe could be implemented in any small group that you have, you know, from, from kids to students to young adults to adults. I think that each and every one of these things would help the, the health and the growth and, and the vibrancy uh, of that small group that you're a part of. So uh, let's start with bearing one another's burdens, a few things uh, that I think are important uh, here. And some of this is geared specifically to the small group leader. And so uh, if you're not a small group leader, you can certainly implement these things in the way that you act uh, and treat uh, each other uh, as you're in the small group. Uh, but if you are the leader, a lot of this is geared towards you. And so uh, I hope that you benefit from that. But first, in bearing one another's burdens, there has to be a space that's created uh, for vulnerability. Uh, and I think that that happens by allowing uh, members of the small group to be the primary sharer. And so if you are the leader of a group, specifically, uh, you know, if it's with students or young adults or something like that, you want the students to be the primary sharers in the group. Now, if you are uh, in a small group where everyone is equal in age, um, then then you want everybody to be equal sharers, if you will. And so uh, we know that uh, if you're like me, you have a tendency to overshare, you like to talk, uh, and you just jump right in. Uh, and it's not that I, I am inconsiderate of the other people around me per se, but it's that I my mouth is just kind of like ready to go. And so if I'm going to be a helpful uh, person in helping us bear one another's burden, sometimes that means I need, to, I need to stop talking and let other people talk so that there is this vulnerable space that's created where people feel comfortable to share what's going on. Well, the second thing that jumps out to me in this category is that we should always follow up on one word answers. That if somebody uh, just gives something that uh, just seems kind of like they're writing you off or they're not pressing deep or there might be something below the surface of that, 
we should have time in our groups to press into that and to and to to focus in on that. And so if you ask somebody how their week's going and they just say, "Oh, it was fine." We shouldn't just let that go. We should we should press into that and know that uh, hey, invite us in. Invite us into the highs, to the lows. Let us know, you know, what's going on so that we can weep with those who are weeping, rejoice with those who are rejoicing. So follow up with one word answers. Uh, and the next one kind of goes along with it, which is to be be willing to stop what you're doing to listen to, to somebody's life. Um, some, some of us get really uh, kind of tunnel vision on either the curriculum or the book or specific questions or the, the small group guide uh, to the point where we, we almost don't leave space to share life with one another. Uh, and, and that can be a danger to the group because if somebody's got something going on uh, that needs to be talked about and that they need people to rally around them for, if they don't feel like there's a comfortable space for them to do that without messing up the small group, if you will, uh, then we're not going to be able to bear one another's burdens in the way that uh, God calls us to. So be willing to stop what you're doing to listen in on what somebody's sharing, uh, which kind of makes me think of a really obvious one, which is you may want to give an actual chance for people to share what's going on uh, in their life. So this could look something as simple as starting with with highs and lows at the beginning of the group or something like that, uh, but just making sure like, you know, there is space, even five, 10 minutes of just free conversation on the front or the back end for people to share what's going on. Uh, if you're just right into the curriculum and as soon as it ends, you're out, uh, there's just not that space for people to share. Um, and then following up on, on all of these things have kind of been about like creating the space, allowing for these things to be shared. The, the next one is, is just as big, which is that when something is actually shared, we should actively care for that person. And so if somebody shares that uh, you know, they're, they're having a, a problem making ends meet financially. Uh, you know, the, it would be great if the group stepped up and said, well, let's buy your groceries this week. You know, it would be awesome if, if the group said, well, you know what, like I, I can make dinner for you guys and swing it by tomorrow. Uh, you know, if somebody ends up in the hospital or something like if the group can go and visit them or write letters or something like that, when something's actually shared, we, we, we actively do something to care for them. Uh, that it reinforces, uh, the vulnerable space that we've created for them to share those things uh, in the first place. And then the last one that I have here in bearing each other's burdens, and I touched on it a little bit earlier, is that we should be praying for each other. We should definitely be praying for each other. Um, that That's one way in which right then and there in the group, you can care for one another's burdens. If somebody has you know an opportunity for a promotion coming up or you know a big meeting or something like that but just stop and pray and then and then now we're thinking about it and we've gone to God on it and I'm more likely to check in with you about it 3 days later when I've been praying for you uh, about it cuz I remember it and it's on my mind so uh, those are some things to think about when it comes to bearing one another's burdens uh, I want to move into the second one which is to encourage each other away from sin uh, this one's really important because I think uh, you know, as we talk a lot on the show about consumeristic Christianity and putting myself at the center and uh, my comfort is more important maybe than uh, my call to follow Jesus, uh, sin plays a huge part in that. Sin plays a huge part in that. We actually just did a four-part series on the podcast about sin, uh, why we should care about it, what we should do about it, how we should feel about it, and how we can live uh, with it as we go forward. So you may want to go back and listen to a couple of those, uh, especially if you're uh, the leader of a small group, so you know kind of why why we should care about those things and how we can press in. But but the reality is that, that sin, like it does in every area of our life, it seeps into small groups and it just destroys them from the inside out. I mean, something as simple and as commonplace as gossip can just radically alter the health of a small group. 
Uh, something equally as deadly like flattery can also, uh, you know, just kill the overall health of a small group. And so uh, if our small groups are not focused at all on encouraging one another away from sin, I think you'll find that uh, the health is going to struggle. So here's a few things uh, that I think about when, when we lead a group as we try to encourage one another away from sin. The first is that as the leader, you want to use questions to help people recognize and understand their sin in their life. So uh, notice you're not telling them what the sin is in their life to their face. Now there is a time and a place for this, but small groups ought to be a place that are just soaked with grace to the point where if somebody's being really prideful, it's, it's actually better probably for them in the long run to figure that out for themselves uh, than it is for you to just tell them straight up, you're being very prideful right now. Uh, again, there's a time and a place for that. But if you can ask the questions that lead them to understand that they're being prideful, that discovery is going to go a lot further uh, than somebody just, uh, you know, conflict, uh, hitting them head on with conflict, sorry, uh, and, and just calling them out right there. Uh, and so that's the first one. Use questions to help members of the group recognize and understand their sin. And then the second one here I, I put is to lead with grace. A confession of sin, again, is something to celebrate. It's not something to be to be punished. And so when somebody actually confesses a sin, we meet that with grace. Uh, we, we don't actually meet that with punishment. That's actually, that's not how God meets us at all when we confess our sin. And so if you think about being an image of God or an image of Jesus to the people in your group, this one becomes easier uh, because we know, you know, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we're faithful to confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And so it doesn't say that if we confess our sins, God is going to immediately punish you. It says he's, he's, going, to, he's going to clean you and he's going to love you. He's going to forgive you. And so that's what we want to do with people in the group uh, as they open up, is we want to meet them with that same kind of grace that God meets us, us with. Number three is to be okay with silence. Going along, this is to have patience. Right? Nobody uh, is going to be comfortable sharing their sin if they're only given about three seconds to answer the question uh, before it moves on. We need to be able to sit in that space uh, of, of what might be uncomfortable for the group and just give the opportunity for uh, the Holy Spirit to work in someone's heart long enough to cause them to actually speak. Probably many of us have, have had the experience where we were about to share something kind of near and dear to our hearts and then the group moved on and we didn't. And maybe sometimes it didn't matter, but I can think of several times in my life where I was about to share something that I was struggling with and the group moved on and I didn't get the chance and I never got the courage again. And that that's nobody else's fault except for mine. I shall, still should confess that. But as a group leader, uh, we can know that it's okay for everybody to be a little bit uncomfortable for the purpose of there being an opportunity for people to actually confess their sin. Uh, and then when they do... Again, this is kind of a theme that runs through a lot of a lot of these practices is that we ought to listen to what they share and be willing to follow up with them. And so instead of just waiting to speak, we listen in to each person who's sharing so that we might actually follow up with exactly what it is that they shared uh, and be able to kind of press into what they're sharing. Another key part of encouraging people away from sin is the fact that you ought to be comfortable sharing uh, about your own struggles with sin. Uh, and so if you're dealing with students or, or minors, you know, there are limits to what we share uh, just to protect them. And instead of, you know, we don't want to pique curiosity about sin, uh, but we do want them to know that we're not perfect. 
Uh, and then when it comes to, you know, adult relationships, if you're leading a small group and you're asking other people to share uh, about where they're struggling with sin, but you're not willing to do the same, that doesn't create a culture where people feel comfortable sharing. And so uh, even if you're a, a pastor or a leader, uh, or for some reason you feel, you know, elevated in status in your group or something like that, you've got to tear that wall down uh, and be comfortable sharing about your sin. Because the reality is small groups strive to declare the gospel. And the gospel is the fact that you could do nothing to save yourself, but Christ saved you. As Ephesians says, you were dead in your sin, but God. And so when we share our own struggles with sin, we declare the gospel to be true because we're not concerned uh, with what people think about us. We're not concerned about making a big deal about ourselves or the way that we've pulled ourselves up from our bootstraps. No, none, none of that fits with the gospel. When we share our own sin, we declare I was lost and Jesus found me. And so you got to be comfortable sharing your sin and that will encourage everybody else in the group to recognize that because the gospel's true, there's no such thing as shame in sharing my sin. That doesn't exist. It doesn't have a place in our small groups because it doesn't have a place in the gospel, right? And so uh, we declare the gospel by sharing uh, our own sin and receiving with grace those who share their sin as well. And then the last thing here on encouraging away from sin is that our groups should facilitate healthy accountability opportunities. Right, that uh, if people are sharing about their sin, we shouldn't just become uh, a weekly cesspool of all the things we're struggling with. We we strive to move on from that, and we strive to help each other out. Find ways to leave behind that addiction. Find ways to to uh, become more humble. Find ways to stop gossiping. Find ways to kill the sin in our life, and we do that together. Right? So we share about it so that it's out in the open, and then we press in with one another so that we are able uh, to figure those things out. That brings us to the third uh, pillar or function of a small group, which is that we uh, hold one another accountable to life in the word. And so the first thing uh, that I have on this is that it is more important that the members of the group learn than it is that the leader teaches. And so this is, this is plain and simple. Uh, the group is not about the leader. The group is not about uh, the leader's expertise or what kind of education they have or how much they know about scripture, but it's about the overall learning and growth of the actual group. And so uh, if your group ends up leaving consistently, you know, in awe of what the leader knows, but nobody else is really learning anything, then then we've got an unhealthy uh, and an unfruitful group. We, we would much rather uh, the members in the group actually learn than somebody teach with, uh, you know, eloquent words or wisdom, if you will. And so to do that is the second thing here is that we ought to guide the conversation with questions uh, and allow uh, the members to, to make the discovery. And so, uh, you know, if you're the leader of a small group, you are looking out for the learning and the discovery of the members of the group, not for your own teaching time or your own chance to speak. If you're just a member of a small group, uh, then you ought to be in a group that where you're comfortable uh, figuring things out and wrestling through things for yourself, where you're asked questions to press in uh, a little bit further, where when you give a one-word answer or something like that, somebody presses in with you and asks you to, to explain that a little bit more because that's how uh, we grow. That's how our, our small groups become uh, more healthy. Uh, the third one, again, we stole this from a couple of the other pillars, is that we ought to have patience uh, and be okay with silence. Again, nobody is is going to grow uh, in a small group experience if there's not an opportunity for them to sit in silence and think uh, about what's going on. Uh, number four, 
is that as much as possible, we follow up with the member's train of thought. And so I put this in here specifically thinking with students because students consistently will say some of the most ridiculous things in a small group setting. Uh, and, and to be an effective small group leader with students, sometimes you just have to roll with that. And you need to use their words or their analogies that make no sense as an opportunity to, to show them the gospel or as an opportunity to teach them some deeper theological truth. But the same is true with adults. That if somebody says something and it feels far out or it just feels like it doesn't fit at all, if you're the leader of a group, as much as you can to make that, uh, do as much as you can to make that fit, because not only does that make somebody feel comfortable, but you're, you're also just going to be speaking uh, on their terms. It's going to give you an opportunity uh, for them to really understand and learn uh, right where they are. Now, if there's somebody who's consistently just way off base, uh, that's probably a side conversation that needs to happen to make sure that we're, you know, we're on the same page, we're headed in the right direction. But as much as possible, we follow up with their train of thought. And then uh, number five here is that we should know the intent of the lesson before we get there. Um, and so you know where the group is going before you walk in. You're you're prepared. At least you've you've heard what chapter you're studying, or you know some of the questions or, you know, a lot of groups now, uh, you kind of do the homework in advance and then you show up and you, and you kind of share your answers. Uh, and that allows for you to really have thought about it before you engage in some of those sharpening conversations, uh, and be able to share and interact with one another, uh, in, in real time with, with things you've already spent time thinking about, you've already developed some thoughts, uh, and that, that really kind of pushes us to grow as well. The last pillar uh, here is uh, building strong, faith-filled relationships. Uh, and so these are just a couple practical tips to help your group build uh, friendships, really, because sometimes we, we get groups uh, and they're so deep, yet there's not great friendship. And, and sometimes it can just feel uh, boring or dry and, and, it, and it shouldn't feel that way, right? That's like the sinfulness in us that we, that we need to have fun or something like that, even the, the consumerism in us, if you will. But... The reality is that that a healthy small group knows how to how to do the balance of those things, how to go deep, uh, but but how to also have uh, good friendships. And so, uh, if if you're in a group that kind of changes every so often or isn't super consistent, it's important that you share names uh, and possibly weekly updates often. Right? Don't assume that everybody in the group knows each other, unless like you've been in a very small group for years and years, and you know it's the same four people for you know, every Wednesday for several years, I think it would be safe to say you guys know each other's names, but, uh, you never want to make the assumption that members in the group know uh, each other's names, know what's going on in each other's lives. And so we give the opportunity to share names, uh, and a weekly update often. Uh, the second thing I put here is that we ought to remember the power of play. And what I mean is that sometimes, uh, something as simple as playing a game, uh, together or laughing together, having a shared experience together, uh, can really like kind of light, light a spark in the group, uh, and cause things to move in a great direction. And so, uh, you know, sometimes with students, if we notice that things have been dry for a couple weeks, uh, we'll just end early and we'll go play a game or, you know, we'll bring a board game or we'll bring uh, dessert or pizza or something like that, just to shake it up, just to give them a good experience, uh, that they can laugh together, play together. Uh, and then we'll notice often that groups after that, you know, they're, they're able to kind of find their stride again. But I think the same thing is true with adults as well. Sometimes you just need uh, to shake it up if we're in the same old, you know, boring routine week after week after week, and, and nobody seems to be growing and nobody seems to be engaging in relationship. Uh, it might just be time to, to say, hey, you know, what? we're going to we're going to cancel group tonight. We're all going to go out for ice cream uh, and just hang out. And you'll find that there's actually some wonderful, spiritually beneficial conversations that happen uh, in events like that as well. 
Uh, number three is that if you are the leader of the group, check your ego at the door. Uh, you know, I put, uh, allow yourself to be made fun of within limits, again, thinking specifically towards working with students. But uh, the reality is, again, the small group is not about the leader. The small group is about the overall growth of the group towards Christ. And sometimes the leader just gets in the way, whether they're prideful uh, or they think it's about them or they want things their way, uh, whatever it might be. Sometimes they just get in the way. So we need to check our egos at the door uh, and make sure that we can uh, allow this group to grow uh, together uh, at the same speed and that no one person is is kind of trying to take that over. That is also just good relationship advice uh, that we have to come into these things uh, with humility. Number four uh, would be to spend time with members of the group outside of the group. And so uh, again, the idea of going out for ice cream or having somebody over for dinner uh, or taking a kid out for lunch or something like that just to shake it up and just to get outside of, you know, your Tuesday night small group where you guys are going through, uh, you know, some deep book of the Bible uh, and just shake it up and do something fun or have a meal together or something like that allows for some of those friendships uh, to build. Uh, and then uh, I, the last one I put here is that uh, as the leader, you want to be a bridge between members of the group who do not know each other. Uh, and so uh, it make yourself uncomfortable as the leader so that everybody else might be un, uh, might be comfortable. And so if you have two people who don't know each other, uh, you know, it's as simple as like, hey, Billy, do you know Steve? Great. Now you do. Right. And it's done. And, and it, you were uncomfortable for what, a half a second uh, so that other people might get to know each other, might might get to uh, be introduced with one another. So we really want to be a bridge uh, between members of the group who do not know each other. Guys, there's there's so much more. Uh, on leading effective small groups, on having effective small group ministries that we could go into, uh, but I really think these are some of the base, uh, the base principles, right? The the overall goal, again, to remind you uh, of a small group is to facilitate spiritual growth. If a group is not, if a group is not growing spiritually, then I believe that it's missing the mark. And we grow spiritually uh, through these four pillars, which are to bear each other's burdens, to encourage one another away from sin to hold each other accountable to life in the word and to build strong faith-filled relationships uh, which we do through you know all the practices that I just shared with you and many more I'm sure you guys have some wonderful uh, advice on leading small groups on being a part of small groups so thank you for listening to this episode of the get your donut podcast make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and if you liked what you heard rate the show and leave us a review that helps other people find us and it lets us know how you feel about it I hope you have an awesome day and that you never settle for anything less than all in with Jesus. Thank you.